Phil, I thought you had more courage than that. So. <laughs> but nope. Um, we come now to continue our worship by praying together. And to call us to that, uh, like last week, I want to read a passage from Isaiah 55. The first uh, two verses. Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Our prayer is but a start of a conversation with God where we not only talk to him, but we have a chance to listen as well. So let us pray together. Our Holy Father, our Lord, our Master, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, we come to you. And we come um, as we are, thirsty and without money. But we come in need, and we come in need of everything that you have to offer. Father, we need your love to carry us to as we sing on occasion, to be caught in the current of your love and to be carried by it. We need your love to sustain us, Father, in dark and hard times that we all face. We need your love. We need your word, Father, to instruct us, to help us learn more about who you are and how then we might live. Father, we need your word to encourage us again in those times when we can't find encouragement in ourselves or our friends or family, your word is always there and offers encouragement to us. Father, we come in need of your spirit to counsel us, to give us wisdom, and wisdom that is not ours, to inhabit our minds with your thoughts and your ways. We need your spirit to inspire us as well. When we are flat and when we are empty. Your spirit is always there with us and inhabits us. We need that. Father, we need your people. We need each other, Father, to speak truth into each other's lives, to have that fellowship, which is a fellowship bound in a common faith and cannot be found elsewhere. Father, we need each other, and we thank you that you provide all that we need, and you provide it abundantly. And it's my prayer, Lord, that we would remember that you are an abundant giver, and that we are blessed, and that we are blessed abundantly. And Father, not only would we remember, but we would live as if we are blessed abundantly, that we would be generous to those around us that are in need, that we would be generous in thanksgiving to you and that we would have thankful hearts in all that we do. Father, I pray that we would live without fear, that we would be bold to speak and to act and not count the cost. Father, I pray that we would be abundant in faithfulness, knowing that you are faithful in all things, and that you are always with us and always for us. And Father, let us be abundant and faithful in prayer, 
and in sharing one another's blessings and in sharing one another's burdens. Father, I thank you for the way that you have blessed us and called us as a church, for the way that you're working in each individual life, in the way you called us as individual and the way you work salvation out as individual to each of our needs. But there are things that are happening here that we want to give thanks for. I thank you for Matt and Alice's engagement. Father, I thank you for the new children that we have in this congregation. I thank you for those expectant mothers among us as well and pray your blessing on them. Father, I thank you for the new officers that we are considering and who are considering their call to serve, our deacons and elders. And I pray that your spirit would be with them in a mighty way over these next few weeks and with us, that we would have wisdom as we consider election of these men as well. Father, I thank you for establishing this church. I thank you for its growth as we witness today and pray that these new members would continue to build this church. Yes, in numbers, Father, but in faithfulness and in generosity and in love for you. I thank you for our staff and for all that they do for us and pray your blessing on them and the many pressures that they have and for our session and our diaconate. We pray not only for wisdom, but we pray for protection as each of these people become targets of the evil one as they do your work. And so, Father, just for all these things, we have so much to give thanks for, and we do it humbly, and we give it, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, and we pray that our hearts would be open then to hear your reply to these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now and hear God's word read as we prepare to hear it preached and expounded to us. Um, By now, we may have almost memorized this passage. Let's um, follow along from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
this morning in the time that remains and looking at God's Word, I'd like to look at what the shepherds said. And in all fairness, as we've been in this four-part series, beginning with what the shepherds saw, we read in the Scriptures in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and then in verse 14, verse 13, uh, along with that angel, a multitude of the heavenly host appeared to them. And then we looked at what the shepherds last week, what the shepherds heard. And what they heard is found in verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, This morning, our theme verse is going to be verse 17 as to what the shepherds said. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I'm not going to focus so much on the what. I'm going to talk about the what in the second point on the outline that has to deal with this message having content. It was theologically sound. It was doctrinally correct. It had content, this message. But I really want the heart of this message in the time that remains. I want you to see at the heart of this is not the what they said, but the why They said it. Their response. Because if you read, not even simply in between the lines, but it can be very subtle, there was no command to go forward after seeing the angels, after hearing the angels. There was no command to go and to make it known. It's, to me, it's, it, 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 it preaches, as it were, um, good news in the gospel by the absence of a command to go and to witness to what you've seen and heard and come to experience yourself. There's two reasons that we will ever be motivated to share our faith with another person. Number one is sheer duty. I used to, um, in the mountains of North Carolina, my first church, I I felt very strongly about going up into the hollows, which we called hollers, and to go down many a dirt road to that person living there in the backwoods that was not a part of the, the worshiping community and to share our faith with them. And so I went and I I got training in Evangelism Explosion, which is a wonderful program. But I found that in order to motivate people to go out from my congregation every Thursday night, that I had to use guilt. (laughs) I don't think that I was aware that I was guilting them into it. But you could here in their prayers prior to going out to brave possible rejection at somebody's doorstep, you could hear in the prayers of these trembling people, Lord, Lord, I, I do this because you're, you've commanded me to do this. 
I do this, Lord, because the Great Commission compels us to go. I do this because there's that that condition that until all the world is saved, or until all the world, until a certain measure of heard, then Christ's return hesitates. So it became much more dutiful. In time, we ended the program because it had become a program. It had not become a lifestyle. It had not become something that we shared winsomely. But you can imagine if we're propelled by sheer duty, then we carry it out as duty, and it becomes very institutional, very mechanical, much like that person on campus or in the workplace or in your family who shared perhaps with you. It was, doctrinally, it was correct, but it was very mechanical. It was as if the person was just sharing with you out of no relationship past and no desire for a relationship in the future. So while we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and to make disciples, to share our faith, and then for these that are afar off to to now lead them to baptism to set their life aside, to follow Christ, now their Savior, now their Lord. It's a commission. It's an invitation. It's not simply a command. That's the second reason that we will share, out of compassion. That there is a motivation that is more than duty. There's There's a motivation that does not respond to a command and say, you commanded it, I'm now going to go out. We don't see that with the shepherds. We see them, after the angels leave, making haste to go to the manger. And there, after a season, we find them leaving, not simply staying in a holy huddle of worship around the manger, but to say, this is good news. In verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them. In other words, without command, they were propelled by compassion to respond to that that they saw and they heard and would subsequently tell others. I just, I'm, uh, just finished reading the book, Contagious, Why Things Catch On, by Jonah Berger. And it's in, the, it's in the business section of Barnes & Noble, and it's in more refined, it's in the marketing section. If you're a salesperson, how do you, how do you sell stuff? If you're in marketing, how do, you, how do you market a product so that it becomes contagious? You know, it becomes the next Chia Pet. Or it becomes the video that goes viral. How does, how does that happen? Jonah Berger says, people don't listen to advertisements. They listen to their peers. They listen, most of all, to word of mouth. That that is shared in the neighborhood, in the workplace, 
the cocktail party or the, the get-togethers. Because word of mouth is, A, credible. In other words, if you're saying this, these teeth whitening strips, oh, I tried this one, it doesn't work, but look at my teeth, this product works. Word of mouth gives it credibility, gives it a measure of truth. It's working for me. It'll work for you. Number two, word of mouth is targeted naturally to an interested audience. We speak to our peers who are interested similarly in the things that interest us. Or the things that we face in our life, our peers are facing similar things, so when we find something of value or of great joy, then we quite naturally share it with them and they are the very best target. And then number three, word of mouth is something that is easy to do in that it's available to everyone. In other words, you don't have to have a big bankroll in order for word of mouth to work for you and your product or your idea. But then... Jonah puts forward the big question. How do you get it? How do you get it started? How do I get word of mouth started about my idea? And he goes on and he talks in the remainder of his book about how something becomes contagious. Here in the scriptures, notice that the words that they receive, the words that they received, they were propelled to go and share with others. And they were propelled by love. They were propelled by compassion. If you look in Acts chapter 1, and you don't have to turn there uh, very quickly, but in Acts chapter 1, I'll just give you the account. In Acts chapter 1, their, the disciples have just witnessed the ascension of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has left them, as it were, a commission. And he says, you are going to reach all of your neighbors, and then it's going to circle out to those that are of a different culture from you, and eventually it's going to circle out this message of your fellowship with me and the understanding of my work on your behalf is going to reach the whole world. But I want you to wait here locally until the Holy Spirit comes. But I'm leaving, but I task you with this now. As you've been recipients and as you have seen and experienced, go forward and share. And Jesus Christ leaves. But the disciples don't leave. They stand there. And the angels have to come up, as it were. It says that there are two angels, or two men robed in white, that we believe to be angels there in Acts 1, that appear behind them. And they say, men, what are you looking at? In the same way that he's left, he will, at the second advent, he will come again. But until then, until then, don't simply stay in this spot and worship. Don't simply stay at the manger and worship. 
Don't simply stand in the field where the angels were last and even worship or reflect. In other words, go. Go. Until He returns, go. And share with others until He returns the love that you've come to understand now from Him. The work on your behalf. The pardon of sins by His death in your place. By God's coming into our life. This morning, I want you to to see that here we are also to be propelled by love. Are you? On sailboats sit in the water. And sitting at a dock, they will collect all sorts of seaweed and barnacles and, and, and slime on the bottom such that it can form quite a mat on your bottom of the boat if it doesn't move away from the dock. And your propeller may have two blades, maybe three blades, but it's really rather small. It's rather efficient unless your boat is set at the dock for a long time. The propeller becomes very fouled because of seaweed that kind of attaches itself to it and can form even a huge ball. And two things are necessary. At that point, you need to have a pro come in. You need to have a diver come in and scrape the slime off of your propeller. And then number two, in order to avoid the seaweed wrapping around your propeller, you need to, on a very regular basis, do what the propeller was made to do. You need to leave the dock. You need to cast off your mooring lines and go out. Are we propelled this morning to share that that we have seen and heard and know to be true? John, in 1 John chapter 1, he says that that we have seen and that we have heard and had fellowship with, even Jesus Christ, we would make known. And if we're not propelled, if our propeller is not working. I believe it begins, first of all, with my prayer to say, Lord, would you dive down to my heart? Would you clean off the slime? I'm afraid I've become a little too much like Jonah. Saying, you can save them and you don't need me. And besides that, those people, they're not my people. I don't want to go and be a messenger of grace to strange Ninevites and slime begins to grow over my heart whether I'm racist and I don't share whether I deem that I'll leave it to another whether I deem that I'll simply leave it to the Lord but, but I need the Lord to forgive me because slime has kind of grown over my heart it's not, it's not as sensitive to the good news anymore and then secondly I need to go. I simply need to leave the confines of my house or my office or my schedule. I need to leave the comfort and the safety, as it were, of the dock. And I need to go. 
And perhaps it'll begin even without words. But just that's the message of Christmas is the incarnation that God, compelled by love, entered into our world. He came. He left in order to enter. You see, the shepherds, it says there in verse 10, that the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. And I believe that they took that as incentive to go and to tell that that they had seen. But also, I believe with all my heart that they had begun to experience the change of life to say such that if God from on high would visit us lowly shepherds and He would say this news is not to make you fearful, but this news is good news. The kind of good news that a captive would receive. And it's the fulfillment of the ancient prophecy that the Messiah, out of the line of David, has come to rescue His people. Then this good news was something that they must, though in the absence of a command, they are compelled They are propelled to share with others. The great Matthew Henry, writing on this verse, he makes a comparison. He leaves his, as he's exegeting or he's teasing out all of the the truths of this passage. When he talks about verse 17, where they say they saw it and then they made known the saying that like the lepers who were outside of the city walls, an army had laid siege to the city for many, 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 many months. The city was starving such that they were eating dove dung and even talking about other horrible things that they must do. But the Lord delivered that city in that the army, strangely and supernaturally, that was uh, the opposing force, abandoned everything in the night. And the lepers, on a point of starvation, went to plead for food with the opposing army and found that the tents were abandoned and the feast was, was still on the table. And they ate and they ate their fill, and they plundered the tents. And then they looked and they said, this is not right. This is not right. Because we cannot rightfully hold, and I like the King James Version, we cannot hold, it is not right for us to hold our peace while others, our family, Friends, though they have rejected us, would starve. Matthew Henry would say, to the degree that we've experienced the feast, to the degree that we've experienced the changing life of peace now made with God through Jesus Christ, it's not right. It's not right. In fact, it's not compassion at all if we would hold our peace. So, what do we do? 
you'll notice there in verse 17, again, keeping with this as our theme, it says that they made known the same. They made known the same. Francis Schaeffer, in his sermon on this particular passage, on no small or no little people, said that evangelism must never be divorced from doctrine. Evangelism, the sharing of our faith, must never be separated or divorced from truth, from content, from doctrine. In other words, we don't simply share, wow, I just, man, you know, I'm a Christian because it's just so, it just feels so good. In other words, we don't just relate experientially. We don't just relate the experience or the, the personal feelings that we have. But there's meat. There's truth that propels us as well. Notice there in verse 15, when they say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They rightfully saw that while the angel was a messenger, it was the Lord that was making it known to them. They rightfully saw that it was God speaking to them. That it wasn't simply a preacher or a Bible study leader or a Sunday school teacher. It was the Lord that was speaking through an angel. The Lord had made it known to them. And that now made them, as it were, vessels carrying doctrine. That's the saying. I believe the saying is in verse 11. Verse 11 saying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And time does not permit to say, what does it mean to say unto you? What does it mean to say the city of David? What does it mean that he's a Savior? What does it mean that he's a Lord? All that is rich in truth and doctrine. And I believe that they could, with that summary saying, that's what they're going to make known what the Lord has spoken to them, what they've received in Bible study, what we've received from reading God's Word, what we've received from God's Word preached, what we've received from someone who is discipling us, what we have heard and we count as coming from the Lord is truth. We don't make it up. We have something of substance that is life-transforming that we're sharing. Jerem Bars, in his book, The Heart of Evangelism, which I'm very hopeful that in the new year that Danny Clark, who taught a wonderful Sunday school class this last uh, term, I'm hoping that he's going to teach another class on the topic of evangelism. But Jerem Bars, Covenant Theological Seminary professor, in his book says that every Christian, every Christian should have and possess a brief summary of the good news, the gospel, that he himself is a participant in. 
do you possess a brief summary of the gospel? And are you then positioned to share that summary? For if you are, then all that you lack for now is no command, but a growing awareness of its beauty and its grace and the love that has been shown to you through its truth. And then you'll be propelled to share. A brief summary could be verse 11. I like in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, verse 16, Paul says, I'm delayed in my coming. But if I am continually delayed, or if I don't make it at all, Timothy, I want you to remind people as to how they should live, the doctrine, the fabric of their lives. And he gives them what would have been a creedal statement in the early church in 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, that is Christ, was manifested in the flesh. That's the incarnation. Vindicated, or that's another word for justified, by the Spirit. In other words, he was God. But he was also fully man. He was seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In other words, part of their very creed. And creeds became, like our Apostles' Creed, a creedal statement of a church, of a body of believers, can very well be a summary of the gospel what we believe to be true, that we would have others contemplate, reflect, ponder, wonder as those that heard the shepherds would wonder about, that we can help to answer questions and we can unpack it as people see that we're entering into their lives incarnationally out of love as he's entered into our life and that we have content and things that matter. And we share things that matter as they matter to those that matter to us, propelled by the gospel with truth. So this morning, my question and my challenge to myself is, do I have a growing desire? Do I have a growing desire that those in my world around me would come to know Christ? Do I have a growing desire? Is there a, and is it, is it traceable back to the, the joy that I feel in my own relationship with God? Maybe I'm not sharing with Him yet, but is the desire too growing? And then secondly, in given an opportunity, what would I share with them What do I understand to be true? What brings me great joy? And will I be willing to share with those that God gives me fresh opportunity to share that just as the shepherds came and experienced a fresh and anew, they didn't stay simply in the worship service, 
but they left and went out into their world and they shared with great joy. And I'm sure they faced rejection, but they knew these things to be true even as they came to experience the testimony of a changed life from the fruit of those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm very amazed that people without the, the command to go and do so, without a program or organization, ordinary and oftentimes uneducated men and women shared this good news. And they shared it with a longing that others would come to receive it as well. Father, this morning I ask once again that you would forgive us where there's either a coldness or there's a a desire to stay in our comfort zone and that in forgiving us you would speak once again of the grace and the truth that is ours. And then, Father, as that frees our heart we would be compelled to go with grace and truth to others. So, Father, feed us this morning from this table that we might be strengthened, not any longer to remain indifferent, but like you, to become incarnational, to enter into the lives of others. And we ask this in Jesus' name.